Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Homo Sapiens. Did you hear that? I just got a new co-host. Our surrogate gave birth to our daughter since we last spoke, so I am a very proud dad right now. And everyone is happy and healthy. I'm very, very pleased to report, and I'm so thrilled to be sharing that news with you all. Even more wonderful news, this is a Heartstopper special. Heartstopper is the incredible new show on Netflix created by Alice Oseman. It's the show that everybody's talking about. It started out as a graphic novel. Now it's uh, been turned into a show on Netflix. It's, it's, it seems to be breaking records. The cast are amazing. The story is amazing. It's heartbreaking. It's wonderful. If you haven't watched it, you got to, is all I'm going to say. So we're going to be talking to Alice Oseman, the creator today, and it's a really beautiful, lovely chat. That's all coming up. Uh, in the meantime, are you all caught up on our latest? So last week we spoke to Booker Prize winner Douglas Stewart. He wrote Shoggy Bane. He's back with his new book, Young Mungo. Endless, endless wonderful messages from you all um, about how much you love that episode, that chat with Douglas. So if you haven't heard to, heard it, go and have a listen. It's on the feed, as they say. And don't forget, you can always get in touch with us with your stories and feedback. We're always up for a chat. Email is hello at homosapienspodcast.com or get in touch with us on Instagram, which is at homosapiens. And as always, leave us a review and be in with a chance of winning a t-shirt, good or bad, we read them out. And by the way, lots of you wrote in about asking to join the newsletter. So send in any more requests you have for that because you can sign up and it's all sorts of nonsense on there. Mostly nonsense from me. It's great fun and it's a lovely little extension of our community. Um, in the meantime, let's go and have a chat with wonderful Alice. Let's talk about Heartstopper. It's the show that everybody's talking about. Here you go. Congratulations on Heartstopper. What a delight it is. Beautifully put together. And I, I'm aware that you were very heavily involved in every last detail of the show, right? Yes, I was. Yeah. How was that? Did you wish you'd taken back the statement, I'd like to be involved in every detail afterwards? Or were you like, no, that's great. I'll do more. No, it was literally the best decision. I knew I wouldn't want to do it if I couldn't be involved I hated the idea of just handing over my story and letting someone else do whatever they want with it um yes I feel like I've had like a really positive experience in tv which I wasn't expecting to be honest like I was quite nervous going oh, into so nice. it because you hear you know stories about book adaptations in particular not not going well and the author not being happy but for me it's been amazing and I'm 
I've enjoyed every second of it. Yes, because it looked like on Instagram uh, from the the creation, you know, that I've been following and all the rest of it, it just looked like a really happy, lovely family. And this cast seemed to be this wonderful group of people who I've seen around at events over the past year or so. And they seem to be a really merry gang. Is that right? That is so true. They have just bonded immediately. I mean, we all have. I think the show is being made by so many people who are genuinely passionate about the story and care so much about the characters and we've all bonded because Mm. of that and it's just made the most lovely atmosphere whether that's on set or whether it was in pre-production or post-production it's been wonderful oh amazing and you said a really interesting thing that I really liked which was that uh correct me if when i when i go wrong because it definitely will happen um that uh, a lot of ya stuff seems to be heavily involved in romance and and, and in some respects that wasn't true to, to you or you and your experience let alone yourself but other people as well is that right yeah yeah that is true um and i think like obviously heartstopper is a romance at its core um but like it also places so much focus on friendships and the power of friendship. Even in Nick and Charlie's relationship, that starts with such a strong foundation of friendship. And then obviously there's all the wonderful and hilarious friendships in the show, like Charlie and Tao and Nick and Imogen. And I've always thought that friendship, like when you're writing a teen story, it's so important to write about friendship too, because for most teens, friendships are going to be there most important relationships in their lives like most teenagers are not going to meet the love of their life in their teenage years um so yeah that's really interesting isn't it because the things that do stick around from teen years is friendship like you say the things that do not stick around is the person who you went out with for three weeks was all massive drama and everyone all they spoke about for two weeks was that and then no one remembers it's um it's funny how stories focus on that though is that because we romanticize those periods of our lives or something i never quite understand why yeah i mean society romanticizes romance itself i wrote an entire book about it it's called loveless <laughs> yes um, yes Yeah. And I think we do often place more importance on romance than friendship. Um, So yeah, like I said, that was why it's important to me to include friendship in the story as well. And, and, you know, it's something that we underserve here on this podcast. You know, it's like LGBTQIA+, you know, the the amount of times I say that a week. But when we spoke to Yasmin Benoit, who's an aromantic, asexual person, you know, I, I, I've been so aware of how we've under, underserved that community on this podcast. And you identify as aromantic and asexual, is that correct? Yes, that is correct. And what does that mean for you? Because I know it's very nuanced per person. Mm. So for me, that's just not experiencing romantic or sexual attraction to anyone but but what Yasmin was sort of quite keen to point out is that that doesn't mean it's it means that you you would have relationships you know this is her version obviously but um and and a family and all those kinds of things they aren't people sometimes close those things off for you is that right yeah i think there's a lot i'm sure she went into this but there's a lot of misunderstanding about what being arrow or being ace is um you can be arrow and or ace and still want to be in a relationship Mm. yeah it's very personal and there are so many different experiences under those umbrellas um 
So it's complicated. Yeah. yeah it, it, well, listen, I mean, I suppose if I can do draw a parallel being I'm a gay man, right? I'm a white cisgender gay man. I'm in the easiest category in the spectrum. We talk about it an hour once a week and we're still going and it's been going for five years, you know, so even that's nuanced, even though it's the most understood. And what do you think were the, if there were any, specifics about being uh, an aromantic person creating a story like Heartstopper and what you wanted to portray about it as perhaps someone who hasn't experienced it in Mm. in person, I suppose? For me, I think it goes back to the topic of friendship and Nick and Charlie's relationship there's we spend so much time seeing them get to know each other without romance being involved Mm. um so that they have a really solid foundation um that then goes on to be a romance um beyond that I really don't think about it much like I just enjoy writing the story I don't think about it you know in terms of my own identity really at all interesting Um, but like there is so much platonic love in Heartstopper. Um, mm. There's a, you know, it's got a queer friendship group at its heart, and that is a really important element of the story as well. Um, so yeah, that's something that's really important to me. What the platonic element? Yeah. And do you feel like you're answering a lot of questions about it being the anti-euphoria and all of that stuff? <laughs> yeah, lots of people are bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I just thought it was so nice to see some people be nice to each other you know obviously I know it's not it's not straight up like that as in I know there's complications even in the first episode you know people are mistreating each other and you know as they do in affairs of the heart but um I don't know it's just really wholesome to see someone queer being loved (laughs) yeah absolutely I love I just love that I think it's what is has not been afforded to a lot of queer people over time Mm, yeah like I love euphoria i love shows that are more adult and are more serious in tone Mm. but there i've I've always wanted there to be more happy queer stories on tv that don't have a lot of heavy sad dark topics um as the focus like heartstopper does cover some you know it covers homophobia and bullying um and mental health a little bit Mm. but it looks at those things with an optimistic spin and sort of the message is that these things happen but you're going to be okay and like there is hope for the future and you will find joy and happiness Mm. Um, and there's like there's definitely space for both those kinds of stories Um, but that's what I prefer to focus on happy endings I guess so is there a combination of focusing on happy endings and, you know, there is hope and that whole message? Is it also key to you that that is a story that you're telling for traditionally younger people with a YA audience? Do you feel like, because I know I do, I feel like at that age you need to be told that, that actually when you're sitting in that room feeling different, it's all going to be okay. Well, not for everybody, but hopefully it'll be, it could be better maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Like it was really important to us when developing the show that, it could be accessible to young teens and tweens. We really wanted people who were age 10 or 11 upwards to be mm. able to watch it um, because there's really hardly any shows that focus on being LGBTQ plus 
for people of that age. Yeah. Um, and it's really important. <laughs> it is. It's it's really important. And do, does it feel weird that it's coming out in the time of like the Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida and and all of that? Does that recontextualize yeah. it slightly? Yeah, absolutely. It's horrifying to hear about those stories and a reminder of the world that we still live in and that there's still so much work to be done. Um, mm. So I, I hope that this will bring people a little bit of hope or a little bit of joy. Well, it certainly will. Like and do, do you, because, um, you know, at the giddy age of 39, you know, I don't spend a lot of time talking to 15 year olds um, and I probably should more. But, you know, obviously we have young listeners and all of that. And But I don't feel like I have a good handle on what is the truth about being queer in 2022. What what do your fan base? Because I imagine they're tons younger. Do what what do they say? Is it is it all right up and down the country? Is it varied? Is it terrible? Well, my, I mean, most of my audience are teens, mm. and they Heart Supper is probably my most beloved book series. Um, they've been loving it, um, and it's honestly it's having that sort of relationship with the fans that helps me write more accurately. Um, like I, I came into writing YA fiction when I was still a teenager. So yes. I was still very much like writing my own world. But like yeah. now I'm 27 and yeah. I don't know exactly firsthand what it is like to be a teenager this, you know, ne- right now. Yeah. So it is it's so helpful to be able to go online and talk to readers or talk to readers at book events um, and mm. just hear about, what matters to them and what they're loving in queer media. Um, And what do you, I know you can't reduce it into like, it was this and now it's this because it changes every day and then enter stage left, don't say gay. And then everyone goes back 50 years. But what do you think is different from when you were writing that first book? Because I remember you telling a story about how your publisher really wanted you to still be a teenager when it came out and there was this sort of race to get. But um, what do you think is different about the queer experience from when, you know, over the past 10 years? Um, It's difficult to say because when I talk to queer teens, often it feels like they've had a much better and more positive experience being queer in school than I did or the people did when I was in school. Mm. But at the same time, I often hear from people who seem to have a, have had a similar experience or even worse. So it varies so much. I like to think it is better than it was, but obviously not. We're not in queer utopia quite yet. (laughs) Damn, because I've got an outfit and everything ready. (laughs) Is it the institution that seems to be the through line of whether it's good or bad? Like, is it a school that teaches? I, I think it's school. I think it depends on the school. It depends on the area. Um, like, I look back on my school experience and I realise how much that was influenced by Section 28, which mm. I lived in Kent. And that Section 28 continued in Kent until much later than it did in the rest of the country. I did not until, know that. How I didn't come? know that until very recently. I, it was, I'm honestly not sure <laughs> why that happened. But um, I, yeah, I only found that out very recently. And it continued until 2011, apparently. And that was when I was still in school. And now I look back on my school experience and I realise 
you know, I think about like, why, why was my school so homophobic compared to some other people my age? Mm. And now I understand. (laughs) Wow. I never knew there was like a regional, God, it's a bit like getting broadband, isn't it? Some people get it before (laughs) others. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. <laughs> <laughs> Were you out at school? Did you like school? No. I had no real understanding of sexuality at school to be honest like Mm. I was not exposed to anything I think the only exposure to queer stuff I had at school was skins and glee (laughs) yeah okay yeah (laughs) Yeah. um so that was all I knew and like there was like maybe one or two out queer people in my school and they you know it wasn't a good time for them um so I didn't really like understand anything about that until I went to uni for sure and then uh, I'm thinking about those times was there anybody in the public eye who was aromantic asexual not at all I'd never even heard of those words um until probably my early 20s mm-hmm. um yeah do you remember the moment you did hear those words not really I think it was kind of in my peripheral vision online um because so much of the arrow and ace community their visibility is on the internet yes and that's where I probably heard about it first but it still took you know many years after that for me to really understand what those words meant in relation to me yeah yeah because it's um unless anything I'm not talking about even sexuality labels just any kind of label uh feels abstract unless it's baked into your life in a day-to-day way Mm. um and you've got this like amazing cast and a very diverse cast and trans characters and stuff and how did you go about finding all these brilliant people who are you know so good yeah they're amazing um so we did open casting right we had ten thousand applications for the show (laughs) (laughs) it was really intense we had two months to cast the entire show um and we had a team a casting team of four people i think it was um, so that's two and a half thousand envelopes each is what I'm thinking they had to open. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it was very intense. Um, and we knew because we had so much criteria for what who we were looking for, because the comics, you know, there's a visual, you have visuals of the characters. Yeah. So we were looking for very specific people. Um, and we knew that if we didn't find them, that there was a possibility that the show just couldn't go ahead, that it just wouldn't work. Um, but we got really lucky (laughs) like we found them somehow that's amazing but you did you found we did we 
made them do a lot of auditions like we mm-hmm. obviously wanted to be sure that they could do it um and it the added challenge was that this was all happening during covid times oh, yeah, so it was mostly on zoom almost all of the auditions were on zoom apart from the very final one which was the chemistry reads between the lead couples so we wanted to be sure um, yeah because Zoom's hard to be sure, isn't it? To get, mm. you know, because my other job is I'm a director. And, you know, obviously, I did all that same thing over a pandemic. I was making a TV show. And you're like, ah, it's just different, you know, um, to get chemistry or get whatever, but, but to see it between people, I mean, you know, mm. but you know, you make it work. And it means you don't have to yeah. leave your house, which is quite nice. I find making television is actually all about a series of compromises. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just like, you're never going to get what's in here out onto the screen without interruption because, um, you know, there's the, the, the exact shape of a building in your mind doesn't exist next to the other place you've got to film in, blah, blah. Did you, did you find that? Did you enjoy that experience of actually taking on its own life beyond the comics? Yeah. I, Sorry, I, I shouldn't say like... comic, should I? I should say graphic novel. <laughs> Graphic. No, really I don't sorry, mind comics. Really comics is fine. I really um, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. It's it's hard to remember now because there were so many decisions and I was learning about TV making as I was going along. Like before yes. all of this, I had no idea how t- film or TV was made. I really didn't know what anyone did or what was involved. I was just going along for the ride, to be honest. I was enjoying it and... I was apprehensive, like going into the world of TV, because as I said, like book adaptations mm. can sometimes not go well. So I was prepared for there to be things that would happen that I wouldn't be happy with. Um, but honestly, there wasn't a lot of that. Like, I feel like I've had a really blessed experience, um, mm. which may never happen again. <laughs> so <laughs> it it's all done with it. No, it'll be fine. <laughs> I've seen the Netflix posters. They're behind you. <laughs> um is uh and uh, yeah have you have you sort of got the bug now do you want to turn everything every every little scrap in your desk drawer you're like make it into a tv show (laughs) um i mean i don't know i don't know yet i'm not like desperate to Mm. do other books of mine um i think there are a couple of books of mine that could really work as tv like loveless i think would be a really really good one to adapt for tv but for now, I'm just focused on Heartstopper. I literally have no more brain space to even think mm. about anything else right now. But here's a question for you, because, you know, you specifically have had this incredible career created by yourself, you know, not to say there's not other people who've worked really hard to be involved, but, you know, like, I'm reminded that Heartstopper, no one wanted to make until you crowdsourced it yourself, right? Crowdfunded it, whatever the word yes. is. <laughs> um, then you make this thing and people really connect with it. And it's a beautiful thing and it's full of personality and it's full of, I just love the fact that you chose to do a graphic novel or comic as I refer to it. Uh, And, you know, it's like you, when there wasn't really a market for it and you stuck to your guns and off you went and you connected with so many people. And that's kind of the, the best case scenario for any creative endeavor. Like you make something and then it connects and people say that back to you and then you talk to them back and it's just this wonderful symbiotic relationship. To make it in te- in television is a, a lot. There's thousands of people everywhere. <laughs> like mm, just whenever yeah. I stand on a film set, I'm like, there are just hundreds of people here. Like there are just yeah. hundreds of people. Like the lunch queue is, and all those people <laughs> have to work together. 
And what a shocking difference to you being in your room drawing mm. and sending it out to the world and then the world speaks back. Is there a difference for you between those two things? Oh, yeah, a massive difference. It was such a strange and like intense experience being on set mm. because I've been a self-employed writer ever since I left university. So I've always worked at home. I've always worked by myself. That's really all I've ever known. And then I came to be on the set for Heartstopper for three solid months, literally 11 hours a day, getting up, going to set and just being around all of these people who are all so yeah. skilled in different ways. Yes. And it was literally the complete opposite of my working life beforehand. Um, and it really like, I, I really, I, I was surprised by how much I really liked working in a team and like, having being able to like put some responsibility on other people for once (laughs) and it's not all on my shoulders um yeah are are you good at speaking up in moments when you're not happy with a large amount of people there because I it's the the hardest thing I had to find about directing is like it's like there's 150 people and everyone says you're wrong and you're like no I think I'm right yeah I definitely did that's not really my personality like Mm. I'm not very outspoken and I do struggle with like conflict (laughs) so (laughs) I did have to really push myself when on set if there was something that I wanted to say I guess um and I think I I really learned a lot while I was doing that and if I got to do it again I would hopefully be more confident and be able feel more comfortable being able to speak up and get a megaphone just say it all yes. through a megaphone and then everyone thinks you're important. <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, I know you just said heart, it's Heartstopper forever uh, right now, but like what is next for you after that? Can you can yeah. you let anything into your head? Can you let us in on anything? Um, well, so at the moment, I am, Heartstopper is my life right now mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of TV, not just the TV show, but books as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still working on the Heartstopper comics. Volume 5 will hopefully be out next year. Um, and I'm doing a yearbook as well, which is like an art book for oh, Heartstopper. Um, but apart from that, I have I really need to take a break from writing. I've decided um, I've been writing nonstop for like 10 years now. Wow. Um, and I, <laughs> I just can't like I don't my brain doesn't work anymore. <laughs> um, so if I I really need to take a long break from writing like several months long. Yeah. Um, and just like regain, like replenish my creative energy mm. um, because I just can't, I'm just not in any fit state to write anything new yet. Yeah. Wow. Were you going on holiday or something? I would love to. I, I just want to experience life without having a very urgent deadline. <laughs> yeah. Something I've not known for a really long time. Ah, lovely, lovely. What a lovely chat. Um, Stay tuned. This Thursday, we've got Instagram sensation, Vogue columnist and very witty author Raven Smith on the show. He's coming on to talk nominally about his new book. We're talking about all sorts of stuff. It's a great chat. So I can't wait for you all to hear that. Get in touch. Stay connected at Homo Sapiens on Instagram at homo sapiens podcast on facebook email your comments questions and agony uncles to hello at homo sapiens podcast.com that's all from me anything to add young lady 
No, she's snoring. Loads of love to you all. Thank you for tuning in. See you on Thursday, everybody. Loads and loads of love. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Powered by Spirit Studios.